Good morning and welcome to Faithbrook Church. I'm Chrissy Thompson, our Connections Director here. We are so glad to have you with us. And if you're online, a welcome to you as well. If you're newer to Faithbrook, we would love a chance to get to know you. So in the seat pocket in front of you, you will see one of these blue connection cards. Please grab it, fill it out, and drop it in the giving box on your way out. If you're online, you can do that digitally by going to faithbrook.church forward slash connect. We look forward to getting to know you and following up with you this week. Well, Faithbrook runs on volunteers. Whether you're on our tech team, our kids teams, coffee, greeters, um, and so many more, we wouldn't be who we are at Faithbrook without it. So thank you to our volunteers, and as our thank you, we are going to be hosting our second annual volunteer night on Friday, June 2nd. We will have uh, lots of fun, awards, and even childcare if needed. So if you're a volunteer, would you please register on our Church Center app, or you can do that online, um, and we look forward to celebrating you. So thank you to all of our Faithbrook volunteers. Well, let's now welcome our worship pastor, Taylor Greenhill, as we wrap up our series, Asking for a Friend. Good morning. Welcome to Faithbrook. I am Taylor Greeno. I'm our worship pastor, uh, and I'm excited to kind of wrap up our series that we've been in so far. And, but before we get to our question this morning, I want to take a little survey. So how many of you would raise your hand and say, I am the family driver? You're the family driver. If you're a family of one, that's you. So um, yeah, I'm the family driver in my house. It's better for my mental health. And uh, but as a kid, you know, obviously as a kid, I wasn't the driver. Uh, growing up, my parents, they would take us out to uh, Lake Tahoe for spring break and we'd get to go skiing. It was such a privilege. Um, but one of the coolest parts was being in the rental car and when the lake was on your side, just pressing your face up against that window and seeing the lake, seeing the mountains, seeing the trees, it was absolutely incredible. Well, I got to take my wife Katie up uh, before our daughter Lily was born uh, and we went on a little excursion on our own down to Squaw Valley, and uh, I got to take the rental car and drive it around the lake, which was kind of like a rite of passage. Um, so I got to drive that car, and I quickly realized that it wasn't as awesome as I thought it was going to be, because I didn't get to look out the window. I had to avoid the traffic. I had to watch the curves. I had to keep an eye out for any falling debris or stoplights or all that kind of stuff. It wasn't as cool as I had expected. I couldn't keep my eye on the lake because I didn't want to go off the cliff and kill us all. And so I kind of realized that I preferred to be the passenger. Uh, and this is kind of like our faith a little bit. When we're a kid, we kind of get to uh, piggyback off of mom and dad's faith, maybe enjoy that ride a little bit. But at some point, we have to get to the point where we own our own faith and we have to get behind the wheel but it's not as easy because now we're the one that has to navigate life we're the one that has to deal with the traffic we have to avoid the potholes we have to keep that progressive snapshot from beeping at us just because we wanted to break a little bit I don't like those things and maintaining our own faith is not always as easy as we think because we can hit spiritual potholes we can um, run into traffic, we can get a flat tire, we can maybe even be run off the road, and maybe our faith just gets left stranded in the ditch on the side. Today we're exploring a topic that I think probably has caused a lot of people to question their faith, doubt their faith, and maybe even abandon faith altogether. Today we're asking for a friend, can I believe in God and science? 
So this is an incredibly uh, vast and daunting question. Uh, It's been a major part of spiritual discussions, uh, faith discussions for hundreds of years. And so it's only fitting that the musician on staff be the one to take you through this. So, but for what it's worth, which is not much, I did get accepted as a physics major at a major university in Texas, but then God uh, called me into ministry. And so I quickly switched schools, switched majors, uh, but I did graduate with a bachelor's of science degree. It was just in music business. So it doesn't help a lot today. But there's often this dichotomy that we find between faith and science, right? Christianity and science are often seen in competition. Science is based in logic and reasoning, but faith, that's based in outdated legends. That's based in wishful thinking. Faith is for the naive. Faith is for the simple-minded. Science is for those who are seeking actual truth. Richard Dawkins even went this far. He said, faith is like a mental illness, a great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence, right? There's no way that anybody could look at all of the evidence and still believe in all of that Christianity stuff, right? It's like the little girl who went, was in her fifth grade class and she uh, was talking with her teacher. They were having a debate and the teacher told her that it would be impossible for Jonah to be swallowed by a whale because the whale's throat would just be too small. The, a man could not fit through it. And she said, no, um, I learned this in my Sunday school class and it's in the Bible and it's true, it happened. I know it did. And the teacher said, no, it's impossible. He couldn't have fit in the mouth of the whale. And the little girl said, yes, it did. And the teacher was like, no, it didn't happen. And the little girl started getting frustrated and crying a little bit. And uh, she said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah, and he's going to tell me that it happened. And the teacher says, well, what if Jonah's in hell? And the girl said, well, then when you die, you can ask him. (laughs) Have you ever met some opposition, some scientific opposition to faith. Maybe it wasn't Jonah, but maybe it was some video. Maybe it was a professor, a coworker, a peer, maybe some YouTube video, some TikToker or, or a reel that popped up. Science and faith are often thought of in competition, but it wasn't always the case. For about 1,500 years or so, the common belief was that If there was a conflict between faith and science, then you were either misunderstanding the science or you were misinterpreting the Bible. And it was the church that funded and promoted much of the scientific discoveries of the time. But in the 1800s, the Enlightenment, there was a scientific boom, and people began to make discoveries and think that science could just explain everything. And people began to believe that science was this ultimate replacement for the need of God. And so Christians began to get nervous and they began uh, to believe and see that science was this competitor to their faith. And if something is in competition, then there's winners and losers. But what if science and faith were never meant to be in competition? What if instead of an either or proposition, it was always supposed to be a both and kind of thing? What if it's not that either science is right or the Bible's right, but that both science and the Bible answer different questions that help point us 
to the same God. And we all love both and situations, right? We love peanut butter and jelly. We love cake and ice cream on our birthday. That's why those awful ice cream cakes were born. We, we love uh, watching Batman and Robin. We listen to Cool and the gang. We root for Ross and Rachel. Okay, my wife understands this very well. Um, not too long after we started dating in college, uh, we went on a date. We went to dinner to Chili's. Anybody like Chili's? It's okay, you don't have to. But uh, we went to Chili's, and we were poor college students. We didn't have a lot of money, and so but I told her this time we were going to splurge. We were going to either get the skillet queso, which she liked, or the lava cake. And I was going to let her pick, and she would get to pick, and we would splurge a little bit. And so we get there, and we pull in the parking lot, and uh, I turn to her and say, okay, so what did you pick? Which one are we going to get? And she said, I have a proposition for you. What if we got the skillet queso and the lava cake? And so that's what we did. And especially if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be surprised with both and propositions. Because we believe that God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And just like Pastor Jim talked about a couple weeks ago, we are called to live with grace and truth. And in a similar way, we don't need to look at science and faith as competitors, but really as collaborators that help us to grow closer to God and deeper in faith. See, science and the Bible are both tools that together point us to the creator of the universe, but they do it in different ways. See, science seeks the truth about our natural world. Science is a method for discovering how the world works and how it operates. Science is not an institution, it's not a person or group of people or department. Science starts with a question, which then leads to a hypothesis, which then gets tested, and then there's data that's drawn, and based on that data we draw conclusions, and maybe our hypothesis was right, maybe our hypothesis was wrong, and we have to go back to the drawing board. But science can't tell us everything. It can't explain morality. It can't explain love. Science can't define why we have this deep desire for purpose in our life. And science seems to consistently be shifting based on new data that we receive, and maybe even depending on who is drawing conclusions from the data. If you've ever had to care for a baby or you have a baby, uh, you might understand this. My son, Leo, he goes to sleep or nap every night in a swaddle or a sleep sack that has words on it, and it says, back is best. But that's only there because before that, they thought that sleeping on their belly was the best, and they both were backed by science at the time. And some experts advise an eat-wake-sleep cycle, and some advise an eat-sleep-wake cycle, and both are backed by science, and many people stand by those. Science is simply a tool that seeks the truth about our natural world, whereas scripture reveals the truth about our supernatural God. We believe that the Bible is divinely inspired, that it contains all things, truth necessary for faith and for Christian living, and that it perfectly reveals God's will for us and our salvation. 
The Bible is composed of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's itself this library of documents, this library of laws and prophecies and eyewitness accounts and letters and all of these things put together. And they all point us to the person of Jesus Christ. And although there is some history and although there is some science in the Bible, its primary purpose was never to be read as a textbook. And just like science, Scripture can be misinterpreted, overinterpreted in different ways, even by Christians and atheists alike, all seeking to argue their point rather than the main point of Jesus. Science helps explain the how, but Scripture helps us know the who. So here's my challenge. Don't let your desire to understand the how pull you away from pursuing the who. Don't let your desire to know all these things and have all the answers pull you away from the who that was behind it all. I would argue that science only helps us better understand the God of the universe. It doesn't disprove God. It is the means by which we understand and discover the majesty of God. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, every ology is a branch of theology. Today, I'd like to look at a couple of different areas that I think really help build our faith and help uh, build this together. And so this first thing that I want us to look at is the beginning of everything. The very first verse in the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, in science, there's this concept called contingency. And that's been around since times of Aristotle, times of Plato, Aquinas. And, and this theory, this idea of contingency states that if something begins to exist, it is dependent on something outside of it that pre-existed it, causing it to come into being. Now, let me give you an example. So let's say you wake up, you get out of bed, you go to the table, and there's a fresh hot cup of coffee and a fresh plate of breakfast waiting there for you. You don't assume that the coffee jumped itself into the brewer and then hopped its way into the mug and that the bread kind of weaseled its way into the bread sauna that toasted it all up and put it on the plate and that, oh, wow, this is just amazing. No, you assume that somebody must have been there before you and prepared it for you or it's not your food and you shouldn't touch it. That's another option. But for a long time, atheist scientists believed that the universe was the non-contingent thing. So they believed that there was no need for a creator because the universe always was. But in 1929, there was an incredible discovery that was made. And Edwin Hubble looked through his 100-inch telescope into the cosmos, and he discovered that galaxies were rapidly moving away from one another. So essentially, science confirmed what the Bible had declared for thousands of years, that the universe indeed had a beginning and that it was expanding. And Mr. Hubble's discovery and the Big Bang Theory that ensued uh, was initially rejected heavily by atheist scientists because they didn't like where that logic led. Because the idea of the Big Bang smells a whole lot like Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be. And then there was. And in an instant, the universe was born out of the hand of an almighty creator. Because if the universe had a beginning, it had to have a beginner. Second thing I want to look at is the design of the universe. 
The universe is this incredibly beautiful and complex thing, but yet it is orderly, it's practical, and it's understandable to us. Take a look at this picture from NASA that we have. This went viral a year or so ago, and it was taken by the newer space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, and this was a previously undocumented part of our universe. And those bright things that you see, those are not stars, those are all galaxies. And if this picture was a puzzle piece for the puzzle of our universe, this would be the size of a grain of sand held at arm's reach. The psalmist described it this way, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. God created something enormous, yet so intricately refined and put together. My daughter, Lily, she's been into watching Lion King lately, which honestly is a massive step up from Frozen, so I'm happy about that. But it starts with one of the most iconic movie songs, The Circle of Life. So we think of The Circle of Life for a second. A small seed is placed in the dirt. Rain falls from the heavens, waters that soil. The seed takes root, begins to grow. It breaks out of the soil and the sunlight hits it and energizes it and more water comes and fuels it and it grows and it produces a plant that produces fruit and then an animal comes along and eats that plant or eats that fruit and then we come along and maybe eat that animal unless you're vegan and then you just eat the fruit and the plant and that's okay, no judgment. And then we grow old and then we go back into the ground and we fertilize the soil and the seasons continue and the world continues to spin. And you might just look at how everything is in such balance and say, surely it's impossible that all of this could just happen by chance, right? Atheist scientists have determined that there are about 150 different astronomical constants that had to perfectly align up to support life on Earth. Things like this. If the Earth had tilted just a little bit more or a little bit less, we all die. If the Earth was a little bit closer to the sun or a little bit further, we all die. If the Earth spins just a little bit faster, the world floods, and then we all die. And Sir Roger Penrose, an agnostic mathematical physicist who's taught at many prestigious universities across the world, he calculated the odds of all of these constants coming together by accident, and he found the odds to be this. 1 in 10 to the power of 10 to the 123rd power. That can also be written like this. 1 in 10 billion to the 123rd power. That's 10 billion times 10 billion times 10 billion, 123 different times. It's an incalculable number, something that you can't even begin to write down or process with our minds. If you're not a math person, this is the equivalent of winning the lottery 10,000 times in a row and getting struck by lightning every single time that you turn in that ticket. And some people will argue in terms of poker and say, well, it's unlikely that you would be dealt initially a royal flush, the best hand you could possibly get, but it's possible. 
And I would say, yeah, that's true, it is possible. But this is a whole different order of magnitude. This is like getting dealt a royal hand, a royal flush on every hand for the rest of your life forever. And I think if you're a rational person, by the time you see that the second or third time, you're not buying the luck argument anymore, right? You think this person's cheating for sure. The only argument that atheist scientists have to explain the intelligent design of the universe is the same as the lovable Lloyd Christmas. So you're telling me there's a chance. In his book, The Problem of God, Mark Clark states that the correlation between academic life and irreligion is much higher in the social sciences and the humanities than it is among the natural sciences, physics, chemistry, biology. Atomic physicists are much more likely to believe in God than sociologists. I got to chat with a scientist within our congregation and I heard this from him firsthand. He, he through school, uh, studied chemistry and worked in this field and, and uh, I asked him, you know, how much opposition did you face in school and in your job and your career? And his answer surprised me. He said that most of his colleagues were actually Christ followers themselves and that they had many good discussions about faith throughout his career. But that's not what's supposed to happen, right? If science is in such opposition to faith, why are there so many highly intellectual people and scientists who have such strong faith? Okay, so that's great, Taylor, right? You, you've seen enough evidence. You, you've been convinced that God is real. That's, that's great, but I have a lot of doubts. I have a lot of unanswered questions. And I would say, welcome to the club, right? I have doubts. I have unanswered questions. Anyone who thinks that they understand God is either lying to you or they're worshiping a small, distorted misrepresentation of the God of the Bible. The evidence is, is great, and I love even more and more proof, but that's not why I believe. I put my faith in Jesus, and I believe in Jesus because he has changed me. I let Jesus take over all of my life, and he has transformed the way I think, the way that I love, the way that I live and talk and interact with people. Before Jesus, I was just so full of myself, aimed at worldly success, worldly status, but I had no purpose. You know, it may not have looked like that from the outside, but I was just as lost as anybody else. I believe because Jesus has given me hope, given me a peace in my soul that given the circumstances should not be there, I have faith in Jesus because of what I have experienced in my heart and what I've seen him do in the lives of other people. Here's the reality. You will never have all the answers. And I'm sorry if that's a disappointment, but there's no amount of research, there's no amount of study that will get you there. It will always take a step of faith. And at the end of the day, you will put your faith in something, but what or who will it be in? Mother Teresa had this to say. She said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. I have never had clarity what I have always had is trust. See, during the course of your faith journey, you will face opposition. 
And you will encounter people with some tough questions. And some of these people are people that you care deeply for, people that you so desperately want to experience the love of Jesus like you have in your life. And in these moments, it's so easy for us to just cower away or back down and feel weak because we may not have the perfect words and we may not have all the answers. But if you're a Christian here today, this is what I want you to remember. It is the power of your testimony, not the persuasiveness of your arguments that will lead people to Jesus. It's your story of transformation. It's your story of how Jesus has, has turned your life around that will show Jesus to the world. Nobody can argue your testimony. Nobody can contradict the fact that your heart has been changed and transformed because of Jesus Christ. You may not be able to perfectly articul articulate every single answer, but you can articulate what you know to be true in your heart and in your life. You are the evidence of Jesus. Now, many of you here or many watching online, maybe um, the perceived competition between faith and science has been a big hang-up for you. You've struggled with some really big unanswered questions, and maybe it's kept you at just like a surface-level faith, and you've been waiting until you've had all the answers or that you've had all the clarity before you're willing to, to give it all over to him, before you're ready to surrender it all to him. And if that's the case, you're gonna be waiting a long, long time. So why not today? Keep asking questions, keep gaining knowledge, keep gaining wisdom, but at some point, it takes faith. Don't let the desire to understand the how pull you away from pursuing the who. See, maybe your doubts have even kept you from faith. Or maybe they've driven you away from faith altogether. Maybe you faced opposition or arguments and, and your car of faith is in the ditch and it's been there for a while. Hopefully today you're seeing that for the first time maybe, that, that science is not working against scripture, but that together they help us to know the God of the Bible, an intelligent, majestic, powerful, and loving God who loves you so much that he pursued you first and that he continues to pursue you. You know, maybe something is even happening in your heart today. You know, maybe you're feeling this pull toward God or the things of God, and, and maybe you've even felt it for a while, that would be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that's prompting you, that's calling you, and that's what he does. He doesn't barge in, he doesn't force himself, he calls you. His Spirit is calling you away from a life of sin which separates us from him, and that's the last thing that he wants for us. And it calls us toward a life of following Jesus who gave himself as a sacrifice for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new. See, the world is gonna point you to so many things. It's gonna promise you that this or that is gonna bring you satisfaction. It's gonna bring you joy. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, those things never quench the thirst that's deep within. You know, we get left with the same empty feeling that always seems to creep back in. And maybe you even know it's God. And you know that he's the only thing that will satisfy, but you're either too scared 
you're too bitter, angry, maybe even too hurt, to see that all the signs are pointing us to this loving creator. I, along with many other people in the room, know what it's like to experience the freedom of Christ and that there's nothing more that we would want for you than to experience that as well. And maybe for you that seems absolutely crazy, but how has everything else been working out for you? Nothing else works. Today, if that's you, I want to invite you, whether you're here, whether you're online, to make a life-changing decision to begin following Jesus with your, with your life. In just a moment, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer and then I'm gonna ask you to respond. You know, Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came for me and he came for you. Your doubts, your questions, your past, your pain, they don't disqualify you from faith. Those are the very things that qualify you for faith. If you're ready to begin a new and thriving life in Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, would you forgive my sins? Jesus, I have been far from you and I have run from you. And Jesus, would you save me? Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so that I can walk with you, so that I can serve you and follow you. By faith, I give my life to you today. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your new life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you genuinely prayed that prayer, know that God has heard you and he is faithful to forgive you. And you are now made new in Jesus. All of heaven, all of faith broke, we celebrate with you. If you said that prayer for the first time, we are so excited for you. And we don't want you to begin your faith journey alone. We want to come alongside you. We want to support you. We want to pray for you. And so if you would grab one of these red cards, either right now or right after we dismiss, I would love for you to fill this out and indicate that you made that decision today. Not filling out a card, it doesn't void your decision, it doesn't make it not count, but it could mean the difference between experiencing a lifelong faith in a community that loves you and supports you, or just some spiritual high on a Sunday that lasts for a couple of weeks and fizzles out as you try to do it by yourself. Would you let us come alongside you, help us Grow, help you grow and, and learn what it's all about to follow Jesus. Fill out that card, put it in our giving box as you leave, or bring it to me, bring it to any of our staff members. We would love to connect with you, pray for you, support you. Would you, all of us, just stand together so I can pray a prayer over all of us this morning. God, thank you for any decisions that, that were made here this morning, people who are here in this room or anybody who is online. God, would you fill those people with your goodness and with your love as they enter into this new era of life. Thank you that we can have this new and thriving life with you. Thank you for, for science, for the ability to understand your creation, but also, and most importantly, just to understand you, our creator. 
God, would you bless us now as you are sending us out into the world to be your witnesses. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Now remember, fill out this card. I would love to receive that from you. And I invite you back next week. Pastor Jim's gonna be launching us into a brand new series. Have a wonderful weekend. You're dismissed.